Welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. Today we have on from Barstool Sports Jeff Nadu. He is the host of the basketball podcast Big Man on Basketball. You can also follow him on Twitter at Jeff Nadu. We get into how he ended up at Barstool. What's it like working at Barstool? Also talk about his gambling career and some Philadelphia Eagles talk and more. But before we get into our interview with Jeff Nadu, we are brought to you by Pod Talk. If you've listened to the show before, you know you need to download Pod Talk. It has the best interface compared to every other podcast listening app. I use it myself. It's the best way to listen to podcasts. Go download it today in the App Store and leave a five-star review while you're at it. Now, our interview with Jeff. All right, we now welcome on Jeff Nadu, also known as Big Man on Campus from Barstool Sports. He's also the host of the podcast Big Man on Basketball. Jeff, how we doing? Doing great, Carter. Thank you for having me, man. Always appreciate it. Anytime. So give me your backstory. Like, where were you before Barstool and how'd you end up there? <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, well, look, I've been doing this since 2009. I remember I created a Twitter account back in 2009. I was, uh, I mean, what's that? 11 years ago it was, mm-hmm. it was 20, I think, or 19. And I always bet on sports. I've met on sports forever, but um, Twitter had just kind of started out. I was on Facebook. I was ranting and raving on Facebook and I found out about Twitter kind of fell into the gambling community on Twitter. Uh, like I said, I've been betting forever. And I um, really just kind of started out with just tweeting. And then um, maybe a few years later, a year or two later, I started doing kind of something like you're doing, where I just kind of got a mic and I, I just started talking. And uh, initially nobody listened and I didn't really have, I was just doing it just for sort of practice and that kind of thing. But, you know, the goal was always to, you know, I had a regular job. I was just a regular person. I was always gambling. And my goal was to try to create an opportunity to get paid doing content. And I started doing content with a company and kind of grew a following, somewhat of a following and just kind of worked my way up. And I've always, for like three or four years now, I've been cool with Big Cat. I've always I've always known him. We talked about sports betting and basketball and stuff. And a big cat's always been very cool in the gambling community. I know a lot of gamblers that know him and he's always been very integral in that community. So I started talking to him. I gave him basketball picks and, um, you know, one day we were talking and he mentioned that he knew I do, did content. I was kind of interesting and funny and, uh, kind of a character. And he asked me about, did I want to go meet Dave? And at that time, Barstow was still at the old office. They were, they'd really kind of just were there. They were only there about a year. And David mentioned, he reached out to me and said, you know, it was just one random day. I got a DM from him. He said, uh, you do want to come up and talk to me about content? So I got on the train and went up to New York and they obviously, like I said, I had no gambling people at that point. They weren't connected yeah. with Penn or anything. And I, uh, I remember walking in that day cause there was an elevator right outside of his office. And I remember walking in and he, he looked at me immediately and said, wow, he goes, you look like central casting. You look like exactly what a gambler would look like. And I, uh, we sat down and, and he mentioned that, you know, they had a lot of interest in getting more into the space. They'd always kind of been into it. And, uh, you know, for a while it it was just kind of a connection we had and, um, you know, just never kind of made like sense, I I think for, for them. And then they Mm -hmm. moved to the new office, they got connected and they actually offered me a job last year. And it just wasn't the right time for me. I was going through some things in my personal life and I have a website and I have different sources of income Mm -hmm. right now. So 
it just didn't necessarily work. And last winter, right before the virus hit, Dave reached back out to me and we got connected. And um, I was actually supposed to start a barstool in March. And about a week before my start date, coronavirus happened and the whole world shut down. And he kind of just made the expectation that, you know, so come September, football's back, you know, we'll get you on board. And um, yeah, it's been a long odyssey, man. I, like I've told, told you when we were about to start, you know, mm-hmm. I've been doing this all a long time and, and it was all very uh, kind of surreal to just have an ability to do it somewhere big like Barstow. So what's that relationship like with Dave? Cause everyone's fascinated with him and I don't like the workers. It seems weird with the relationship. In my opinion, do you guys have any kind of relationship? Do you talk often or is it just like, Hey, just do your work and we don't, we're good. Um, well, you know, for me, it's a little different because I'm remote. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not in the office every day. So, um, you know, it's funny when the gambling house was, uh, full, full fledged, I would see Dave weekly. Like we were there, you know, all day and, and mm-hmm. we talked, you know, all day there. But, um, I would always say this about Dave, like recently we had a little bit of a run in just with some of the things that went on and he wasn't very happy with me, but, I always say this about Dave, like he's always been very nice to me. He's always been very loyal as far as giving me an opportunity. I mean, as I said, I declined an offer from them one time and he was really cool with, you know, always giving me an opportunity. And, you know, I definitely respect Dave. I think he's a terrific, tremendous businessman and he's really self-made and, and you know, growing up, like my dad, my dad always owned his own business and he always taught us to do that as well. And, you know, I always have had offshoot kind of businesses and stuff and stuff that I was doing. So I always respect people that do it. And Dave created the company and made it into what it is. I don't see. And I think that's one of the reasons at Barso that it's tough when you're remote, because I'm not there every day. I'm not on camera every day. Um, but, um, you know, Jeff, definitely, you know, coming up here as, as the holidays over, I'm, I'm definitely gonna be up there a lot more. But I would say our, our you know, I think he I did definitely think he respects me as a gambler and mm-hmm. um, values my opinion. So, yeah, um, I would say it's good. Uh, a little rocky recently, but uh, it's good for the most part. So you said you're you mentioned your remote. What's yeah. it like day to day working with Barstool? Um, you know, I will say, like, one thing about me that's a little different from most of the employees I'm kind of a similar employee to like Stu. Stu isn't like mm-hmm. full time. He's not there every day. I still have um, kind of separate things that I'm doing. I do content only though for Barstool. So, you know, I, I can do like like radio spots and stuff to you know, promote like what we're doing at, at the company and, and with Barstool. But as far as like, I'm not necessarily there every day. So it's a little different, but um, you know, a lot of the time I'm just, I have a podcast now. So I spent a lot of time with college basketball and the NBA and that kind of stuff. And um you know, really, you know, writing blogs. And like I said, when we were doing the gambling house, um, we kind of stopped because of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. you know, I was doing that and that takes kind of a whole day out of the week. So, um, you know, everything I do is, is kind of Barstool related. And as I said, I'm going to start going up there a little bit more frequently and we'll have the tournament coming up. So, um, yeah, I try to do whatever I can, but like I said, I'm a little different from most people where, you know, like I said, I'm not going into the city every day. I'm not in the office every day. Mm-hmm. All right, let's transition a little bit to the gambling. For people that aren't familiar with you, you're a huge gambler. You mentioned that earlier, you're a huge sports better. But, like, how long do you spend on your picks? How do you make your picks exactly? Um. Well, look, I mean, that that's kind of a loaded question. Mm-hmm. I, I would say for me, like, whenever I'm asked that, it's, it's tough to respond just because since I was a kid, I've always been very good with, like, just remembering things and, 
kind of being able to, to, to know things on the fly. So a lot of the things that I see, I immediately store in my head and just run with. So like, for instance, like college basketball, like most of the work that I do, you would be actually quite surprised at how little time I'm spending because once you start accumulating data and accumulate accumulating numbers, I can probably kind of just give you a thought on everything. So it's really for me about just taking a look at the line, understanding the situation, doing a little of uh, the injury, that kind of stuff, looking at that and, and just kind of running with it. As far as approaching different things, you know, pro sports are a little different than college. I think college is a little bit more numbers based. You got to look more into the, the makeup of the team. When you're looking at the NFL, a lot of it has to do with just the number and, and, and kind of like situationally. So like the NFL, I can just almost kind of look at games and, and, and tell you the way I would go just on the number. A lot of it's about what people are betting and what the number is. Um, it's all real different though. Like, you know, college a little bit more numbers based and I got to spend more time with it, but it's tough to answer your question because mm-hmm. I probably approach the card differently than most on a Saturday afternoon. I don't need to spend as much time because I know what's going on with, you know, Alabama state and I know what's going on with Kentucky. So it's, you know, it's just really about shoring up. You know, if I see a line doesn't make sense, well, what's going on in that game? Is there someone out? Um, and I watch a lot of basketball. I spend, uh, you know, I stay up very late at night. I'll sit here and I'll watch, you know, the night's games. I'll go back and look at the box scores. I'll look at kind of what went on in the game, because I think it's important to realize that when you watch a game, a final score can tell you something, but it might not be indicative as to what happened. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to go back and look at what happened the night before, what happened two days before. Um, it, it's a really kind of complex business, but, um, you know, it's kind of, I just have probably more time than most to spend on it. Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, are there certain trends you follow? Or are you more of a gut gambler like Big yeah. Cat is? Yeah, I don't, I mean, the whole <laughs> gut thing, I think it, you know, it's something that's important. Like when you have a feel on a team and, and you have a team that's working for you, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, in college basketball, there's a team called Drake. Uh, they're a team yeah. out of Iowa. Uh, they're in the Missouri Valley Conference. Right now they're 10 and 0 against the spread. Mm-hmm. They've covered every game. So, you know, I think when you find teams that are really good against the number, you have to kind of go with your gut and just kind of ride it until it till the wheels fall off. But I think it's important in those situations to establish teams that you like betting on. If you bet Drake, you know, over the last two seasons and about 10 games, if you bet, let's say, I don't know what the amount of number of games there are, but I think they've covered close to 80% of their games. So you've made a ton of money backing mm-hmm. Drake and you know, that's merely just guts. But you know, as far as trends are concerned, I think trends are cyclical just because you know, a lot of people realize and don't realize that trends, most of the trends that people are regurgitating are from like 2013 or and like those trends are relevant to like what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Like I'll hear people quote trends from like 2010 and it's like, well, those are totally different teams. They could be different coaches. They're totally different systems. So I don't really bet much with trends. I think NFL, it's probably pretty, pretty helpful, but, and, and somewhat helpful, but I don't look too much at it. It's more about in particular basketball, looking at simple schematics. So like if you have two teams that are really fast from a pace perspective and they're fairly efficient, you know, the more shots you get up, the more opportunity you have at betting an over and hitting an over. So mm-hmm. it's just, you know, how does a team play against a zone? So basically if you have a team that can't shoot the ball, you might not be, you might not want to bet them against a really long zone, you know, and that's simple, just understanding personnel and understand coaching. And that's something that I spent a lot of time with just kind of understanding. 
Okay, so last week I talked to Greg Peterson. He's a huge college basketball gambler. I'm sure you've seen him on Twitter. Yeah, I actually um I've known Greg a long time. Uh, I lost touch with him a while ago, a year mm-hmm. or two ago. Um, he's it's funny because Greg is, and I'll, I'll say this very glowingly about Greg. I like I said, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I've known him forever though. Um, when it comes to college basketball, uh, Carter, there's probably from an intelligence and information standpoint there's probably two people that know more about college basketball than me or on the same level as me, Greg, and then a group called the three man weave. Yeah. Um, both those, all those guys are really good with stuff. And and Greg just, he caps totally different than me as far as he bets a ton of games and, and, and mm-hmm. I'm a little different. So yeah, I know Greg. Yeah. So I interviewed Greg last week. He gave me his best gambling story. I got to hear yours. <laughs> um. <laughs> Wow, you know it's it's funny. I I think a lot of people just assume, and Greg's a little different because I think I think Greg still lives in Vegas and he's lived in Vegas for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in you know outside of Philadelphia. I, I I I think a lot of people just assume like we all live sexy lives and we you know do this and that. I, look, I'm no different than anyone else. As far as a, a gambling story that I always remember, I was this was probably right around the time when when I got on Twitter, maybe a year or two after. Um, I was, I had a regular job. I just moved into the apartment that I'm in now. I've been here, you know, going on seven, eight years now. Uh, I remember it's a college football game. I was betting you know, fairly low limits. I mean, I was just starting out. I, like I said, I had a regular mm-hmm. job and stuff. And I remember there was a game, uh, it was Oregon state against Cal in the pac 12. It was a, a late October, November around Halloween. It was like a, a, it was cold tint in the air. And I remember seeing this game and it was back when Oregon state had, a kid, uh, Sean Mannion was the quarterback. They had a kid, Brandon Cooks, who's now in the NFL. He was at receiver. <laughs> and Cal, bro, was really bad. Like, terrible. <laughs> like, really bad defensively. They had a guy, Stunny Dykes was our coach. He just, they were just terrible. They gave up tons of points. And I remember Oregon State was home. They were laying 10 points in a game. And I just had a feeling, it goes back to your feel, that I just loved Oregon State. I just had a feeling they were going to win 42-13 or something. A big blowout. And I remember at the time, I was going out a ton. I was going to clubs and stuff a ton. And I remember that night, I said to myself, I'm going to bet a lot, you know, a lot of money. I don't know at that point if it was necessarily responsibly, um, but I bet a, a fairly large amount of money, a lot, a lot more money than I had normally bet, probably 20 times the amount of what I was betting at the time. <laughs> and um, I remember sitting in my house, I had the screen door open in my apartment and I just sat there. It was a 1030 game, 10 o'clock kick, whatever it was. And I was shitting bricks, man. I was <laughs> so scared. I remember sitting there and I, I watched the entire game and I remember glowingly, it was at halftime. It was 35, 10. Um, and I was winning. And, and I remember the game ended up finishing. I want to say it was 42, 10 or something crazy. And it ended up like hitting the exact score that I, that I, that I remember that I remember saying in my head and, it was a bad kind of from a bankroll standpoint, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but that's the important thing as, as a gambler and somebody that's doing this is you have to kind of learn from mistakes and, and you don't really deviate ever from those. And that's just a memorable one. I have, that was, that was almost a decade ago, probably at this point. That's insane. Are you not a parlay guy? Are you? No, no, I don't. Bet parlays. <laughs> I, I think, I think, uh, I think parlays are really, um, are soccer bets. I, mm-hmm. I think, I, I think a lot of people have these, and I always relate parlays back to. Have you ever seen rounders? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so in Rounders, there's a scene where uh, Michael McDermott goes and he's he's desperate for money because he's got to pay this Russian bookmaker and loan shark. And there's a there's like a piker kind of gambler that he deals with that's like really tight with his money, but he he makes money and he earns money for like his life. Like he's a gambler. And I remember he goes to the Schwitz and he sees this guy and he kind of says to him, like, I need whatever money you can give me. And the guy kind of tries to teach him that life and gambling is not about pipe dreams. It's about surviving and, and trying to create and grind out a profit. And I think all these betters have these aspirations that you know, they're going to be the guy that hits the 10 team parlay for, you know, 200 X what they bet, or they're going to be the guy that buys Bitcoin at four cents. And it's not, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, I I've always said, like, it's incredibly hard, man, to win one game. Like you put a lot of time into winning one game, you know, to, to magnify it. And I'm not saying I never do parlays. I could probably count on one hand the amount of parlays I've done over the last calendar year. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I again, I, I think it's and, – and when I was early betting, like in my career, I, I remember going back and looking at my ledger of bets that I was making over a week, and I would see like – I'd bet like $25 parlays like regularly. And that was back when like a unit for me might have been 50 bucks. And it's like mm-hmm. I'm winning 400 betting $50 a game, but I'm paying back 250 in these stupid parlays. Mm-hmm. And it was cutting into my ROI and the amount of money I was making. And I said, you know what? Like it's hard to win one game. I'm just going to focus on this. And I, it's funny because I talk all the time to like people at the barbershop or just guys that are just starting out gambling. And they're telling me about how they hit a 10 team parlay for you know, 2000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I often say to them, like, well, how much money have you like invested in these parlays? So like if you invested 2200 in parlays, and you only won once and it was like for 1900, you've lost money doing it. <laughs> but it's kind of like the guy at the lottery stand that like tells you about how he won last week for 200, but he's wasted 750 the last two weeks. So it's it's just I, I've learned like my own beats throughout my life and I just and that's why, like, I have my podcast. And I know it's – I know a lot of people don't think that it jives. And it doesn't necessarily jive with the rest of Barstool. Barstool is funny and they're they're, they're really kind of just – they have a great time. And I'm not saying I don't either, but mm-hmm. I like to have fun with the show. But I also like to try to teach people the things that I've learned and the things that I've found over the years. And, um, you know, if I can just get one person to say, you know what, like, that really helped me or, or I've become a better – you know, gambler. I was just a hobby or I try to do it more and it's worked. And that's, that's great for me. Yeah. So before you go, you're a huge Eagles fan. Yeah. What was that last night? I mean, are you okay with it or? Yeah. Well, look, (laughs) um, listen, I, I think one thing that I, that I try to always convey on Twitter is I know that one thing I have to realize is, and I don't, where are you from? I'm from North Carolina. Okay, you're from the South. Yeah, I could tell by your accent. You're not from where <laughs> I'm from. So where I'm from, when I say something, it's mostly taken as, you know, normal. Like people say crazy shit. Like people are boisterous and, and talk with their hands and have fun. And they're not a problem. Not, it's not a problem to tell somebody, you know, you know, F off basically. But, you know, last night I had some fun with it because, you know, I hate the Giants. You know, I hate <laughs> the Cowboys. I hate the Redskins. So for me – the NFL is about surviving. You know, it's hard to win games in the NFL. And we were in a position last night where the difference between the ninth pick and the sixth pick, especially for this team and the state of where they are is gigantic. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, Doug Peterson has for years conveyed this stupid nonsense that, you know, we're going to play hard no matter what the situation is. And last <laughs> night, you know, he finally wised up and said, you know what, you know, we're not going to adhere to what they want us to do. Um, he made it really clear before the game, at least locally here, that, you know, Sudfeld was going to play. And does it mm-hmm. hurt kind of hurts, um, you know, kind of mature, maturation? No. They're moving on from Carson Wentz. I've heard from people in, in – and, you know, that are close to the team. Carson Wentz is not going to be here next year. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fractured relationship is there. And, um, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. In fact, I thought it was pretty funny at the end of it just <laughs> because, you know, Giants fans actually have the nerve to complain and whine. Even the players have the nerve to whine and complain that the Eagles didn't help them. First of all, we hate the Giants. Second of all, you should have beat us in October. You wouldn't have to worry about it. You should have won more than six games. Pretty simple. They lost three of the last four games, Carter. It's pretty. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, can't no, say, I, no, I, I watched. I can't say it any clearer. You know, it, it's it's like I, I don't know what else to say. You know, I can give you water, but if you don't drink it, that's on you. You know, you had the opportunities and you weren't able to get it done. So, I thought it was great, and it was mm-hmm. funny because people took it so seriously. I'm going to tell you, if that wasn't Philadelphia last night doing that, if Washington did that to, let's say, the Giants. Nobody would have said a word, but it's Philadelphia and we're an easy punching bag for the rest of this country. It's funny, too, because I don't know how many NFL games you've been to, but whether you go to Oakland or Las Vegas or Atlanta or Minnesota, they fight in the stands. They fight in the parking lots. Why does it only Philadelphia that has to hear about something that happened 40 years ago, throwing uh, snowballs at Santa? First of all, if you know the story, it was a shitty Santa. The guy sucked. Like. <laughs> People didn't like him. He sucked. Um, but it's, it's cyclical because people just complain and realize that it's Philadelphia. That's why it was such a big deal. Do you still want Doug Peterson? Um, you know, for me, it's more Howie Roseman. I think Howie Roseman is the major issue with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, Howie Roseman has failed miserably at, at addressing the needs of this team for years. I wrote a blog at Barstool about a month ago about – the failure of this team to draft a quality receiver. I mean, it's fascinating how bad it's been uh, truly in my entire lifetime. They've never done it correctly outside of maybe Deshaun Jackson. Um, he's the architect of most of this crap. And he's the architect of, of not understanding that if you bring in a guy like Darius Slay, if you put a, a grocery store cashier on the other side, the, the team's just going to, you know, attack that high. I mean, it's pretty simple. The, the roster makeup, you have, you have 10, I think 12 players above the age of 30 on this team. Uh, it's just really brutal. Uh, Howie Roseman is the problem. And I also tell you, man, that I don't believe that Carson Wentz is the problem. Case in point, Carter, really quick. Mm-hmm. Look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a prime example of a difference between a year. Okay. Last year, Josh Allen was not good. Uh, he, had issues he had consistency problems and if you if i ask you to tell me what was one thing last year that josh allen lacked from a personnel standpoint do you would you be able to tell me what that was his receiving core very you're a smart kid (laughs) exactly right what's the difference this year and his play regarding and his personnel can you tell me the difference the best receiver in the league right now stefan diggs I mean, it's pretty simple, man. Like, and this is an issue that the Philadelphia Eagles have had for years, decades, frankly. I go back to when I was younger, Donovan McNabb. 
you know, Donovan McNabb up until 2004, 2005, they didn't give him one weapon. Like four years straight, he was throwing to, you know, to the mechanic down the street. Like, and then you go get him Charles Owens, he goes to Super Bowl. He didn't win, but still, I mean, you look at the one year Carson Wentz was really good. He actually had a pretty decent and good core. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey was at, mm-hmm. you know, a higher peak. You know, Torrey Smith was terrific. You know, he had Trey Burton. He had guys that throw the – Zach Ertz was playing at a high level. If you're going to belittle Carson Wentz – and this team, I'm going to tell you right now, Carson Wentz will leave this team. And you know what's going to happen, Carter? He's going to go – yep, he's going to go to <laughs> Indianapolis or New England – and a good coach is going to figure him out, get him what he needs, and he's going to go win a Super Bowl somewhere. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, they're giving up on him. Carson's made a lot of mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But look at his offensive line. Look at the the weapon. He has no weapons to throw the ball to. They can't get open, man. You know, it's like it's, – it's laughable. It's like having a Ferrari and, and <laughs> taking the tires off and putting cinder blocks as the tires and not putting gas in it. Like it's not going to run as effectively uh, unless you give it the right tires and the right oil change. Like it's stupid. It makes no sense. Do you want Devonte Smith or Jamar Chase? Well, look, Devonte Smith, I don't think is going to be there. I did a mock earlier, my first mock, and I'm a big mock guy. I do a lot mm-hmm. of mock stuff. Um, I I don't think Devonte Smith's there. I think Jamar Chase will be there. If you're asking me who I would take in a perfect world, Smith for sure. Yeah. The, the problem that they have is. What did I just say five minutes ago about this team's ability to draft? <laughs> they they can't do it. So it's it's imperative that they allow themselves to move on from from Roseman. And yeah, look in my in my opinion, they have to take a receiver. There, there's really you know Devontae Smith is you know I'm not saying he's a Julio Jones type of player. He doesn't really he's not the same you know, build. He's not as tall, but I think he has the ability to be the same type of type of player. I mean, case in point, really quick. Last last year, I vilified this team because they took Jalen Reger, okay, out of TCU. It, it does it surprise you at all, Carter, that every receiver of note after or before Jalen Reger, so whether Chase Claypool, LaVisca Chenault, CD Lamb, uh, T. Higgins, every Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson's yeah. the worst one. Every one of them, those players, has played significantly better than Jalen Reger. And to make it even more laughable, last year they drafted a guy called John Hightower out of Boise State, who's a fifth round pick. Now, I'm not calling out fifth round picks because they either work or they don't, mm-hmm. but this is laughable. So they drafted John Hightower. A few picks later, the Chicago Bears drafted Darnell Mooney. Okay. Mm-hmm. Arnold Mooney's actually had a pretty good season. I mean, he's had, I think he has four touchdowns. He has like 600 yards receiving. You know, he's averaging 10 yards of reception. Like John Hightower, I think, doesn't have one touchdown. He might have like 10 catches on the season. Like it's really unbelievable how truly bad they are at scouting talent and how it just never works out. John Hightower, by the way, Mooney had 11 receptions yesterday. Think about that. Mm hmm. A fifth round pick. <laughs> How many did Hightower have? How many did John Hightower have? <laughs> you you really want to know? <laughs> John Hightower. No, let me tell you this. On the season, now keep in mind, Mooney had 11 receptions yesterday in one game. Darnell Mooney or uh, Hightower has 10 on the season. 
I mean, seriously, <laughs> what is going on with this team? It's wild. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Jeff. So once again, go check out Jeff's podcast, Big Man on Basketball, and go follow his Twitter, at Jeff Nadu. And go check out the Barstool Fund if you have money, and please donate. It's a great cause. Jeff, thank you so much, man. Yeah, no problem, man. Always appreciate talking to you. Uh, Let me know if you ever want to have me on again. Thanks. Of course. You're the man. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Jeff Nadu from Barstool Sports. Don't forget to go check out his podcast, Big Man on Basketball, and follow his Twitter page, at Jeff Nadu. Look, he's an awesome guy. Please go support him any way you can. He's the man. Also, follow my Twitter page, at CarterB8. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe in the podcast apps today. And we should have an episode coming this week, but if not, see you all next week. Bye.